Hello and welcome. It's the pleasure of Power to Change to present Family Life Today each week, Monday through Friday at this time. We'd love you to contact this station and tell them how much you appreciate hearing Family Life Today. Well, let's get started on today's edition. So we've never had in the studio a participant in the Iditarod. It's never happened. You know, I didn't. It'll never happen again either. I didn't really even know what it was until (laughs) our kids started watching a movie when they were little about the Iditarod. And I thought, this is impossible. How could anyone really do this? Yeah, but the truth is, we got a guy that did an 1,100 mile dog sled. 21 day. How many dogs? Well, I started with 13. What? And I finished in Nome with seven. And wow. a lot of people wondered, do the dogs die? Yeah. Immediately. So let me disclaim, <laughs> none of my dogs died. But I dropped them at different checkpoints. Maybe they're dehydrated or mm-hmm. they've got a pulled muscle or they've got a lacerated pad or something like that. little cut on their pad. And we take good care of these dogs. They're incredible athletes. So you finished with seven. I finished with seven dogs. And they could do that. They oh, could yeah. Finish. They're strong. I had two girls up in lead. They were sisters, and they both were born together in a remote village. They trained together, they raced together, and they died together. Um. And they ran in tandem lead side by side, and they had the same name, White Eyes. I put those girls up in lead. I was facing a stiff wind coming out of Shack Tulik, headed for the village of Koyak. We were mushing right across. And actually, I'd ignored the counsel of a, of a village elder in Shack Tulik. And I got out on that ice, and the wind began to pick up. And when I say on the ice, we were on the ocean. From Shaktulik to Koyak, you're running right across the ocean. You're a long ways away from land. We were making pretty good time. And the storm came in and blew and blew and blew. And those girls were doing great. And then it got to a full whiteout condition, Mm. and I couldn't see beyond my hands stretched out. And I'm like, oh, no. So I crawl up to my dogs, and I got pinned down for about five hours. And that's where I'd called out to God. And five hours later, I had a break in the storm. I could see just above the ice crystals that were at about a five-foot level is where they stopped, and I could see the lights of Koyak just barely off in the distance. I got those dogs strung out. I got those two girls back up in lead, and I looked at them. I said, girls, we got to go. And I think they knew. We had our tookie and a squisher here, folks. <laughs> so they like, I gave them the command hike and we headed out and uh, ultimately made it in. I had breathed in ice particles for that whole time. So my wool face mask was frozen to my face. And when I got into the village of Koyak, there was no doctor, but there was a veterinarian and that was good enough. He put me over a stove and we heated it up and it began to melt. And then he cut the wool mitt face mask up the back and peeled it off. It just took one full layer of skin off my face. So I needed to put some Vaseline on, sleep about seven hours, and then we headed out the next morning from Koyak. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, he's like a movie character. This is amazing. Well, I, mean, I had my tookie and a squishy, whatever you said. Oh, I had my tookie and a squisher. <laughs> now, you're in trouble when you get your tookie and a squisher. I guess you are. <laughs> well, I mean, when I hear that story, I'm thinking, okay, it is a metaphor of life. So much so. I mean, the whole race probably Especially is. with the two female dogs in the front. 
There's something about the strength of women and even together. Yeah, that'll preach. Ah, That's that's okay. (laughs) I'm just going to say it for the women today. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're talking, you know, today and yesterday about the seven resolutions that you wrote a book and your subtitle where self-help ends and God's power begins. Walk us through that. Yeah, self-help, you know, we can do a lot in our strength. I love to tell people in our church and even on radio in Chicago where I host a radio show, I I love to tell people, you know, a good prayer to pray is just a little bigger than me, God, just a little bigger than me. Actually, where I got that prayer was on that ice from Shaktulik to Koyak because it was there when I started to pray. It was beyond me. Mm-hmm. I could not get off that ice. And I did a foxhole prayer that I didn't mean, but God was extending mercy. And he got me off that ice. But ever since then, I've been telling people this. Whether it's giving of your gifts, your finances, your time, your life, take risk. Hmm. Take risk. Put it out there. You got to get out of the boat, man. You got to take some steps. And when you do, you find yourself in total reliance on God. And so, believe it or not, I don't ask people to find an easier path. I actually believe that the blessing of God is found in the toughest times when we're in over our heads and we know it. Now, here's the reality. We're in over our heads all the time, but sometimes God has to prove it to us. Mm -hmm. And that's what I live for is getting out on that edge. When I was reading your book, Carl, I put it down for a second after I read what you just said. And I thought, when was the last time I did something so risky that I couldn't do it apart from God? Yeah. And it's been a while. I think that we get comfortable. I think that we get older, too, and we don't want to take the risk. Risk Risk-taking is the Christian life. It's putting us out there where we can't do it. It's a beautiful thing because every time I get myself in over my head, we planted a church in South Loop in Chicago. And because of what had happened before in Mine and my bride's life, I call her my bride. I've been married 34 years. Because of what's happened in our life in the past, I thought we're going to build it and they're going to come. <laughs> we built it. I feel like I'm preaching better than I ever had, understanding the grace of God. But I realized something, the very thing I'm writing about, and that is that this isn't about your fancy footwork, your ability to preach. God wants to keep us reliant on him all the time. And I'll tell you what God did in me. He showed me that it's easier to gather a crowd than it is to make disciples. Hmm. And so that's my most recent, whoa, I'm out on the edge. Now we're planting this church, but we're getting some sweet people, 17 different languages spoken in our little church. But I will say this, they are hungry for God and we're making disciples and it's an awesome thing. Would have I had learned the lesson had people been showing up? Now, I think we'd have been managing crowds more than discipling people. And so I praise God for even difficult moments doing ministry. It's awesome. Hmm. You know, when you say that, it's easier, you know, to bring a crowd than make disciples. Talk about that in your family. What's that look like? You know, I'm so glad you asked that because I think the key for us sitting here today, and I thought about this, I'm coming on family life today. All right, what's the kicker here? We want to pass off to our kids the right things, but in a 
in an Americanized Christianity, and I'll keep saying this, we have a propensity to bootstrap self-help. Pull it up. We go do it. You know, we ought to. We should. Let's get to church. Let's get plugged in. All those words easily come off of our lips. But that's mainly focused on behavior. Behavior modification will never change anyone. I was um, studying, again, a book that I had read many years ago called Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. And he builds a case. And I can't believe I set it down. I ran downstairs talking to my bride. I was up studying and I ran downstairs and I said, babe, babe, look at this. Here's what he says. He says, we're going to be stuck in behavior modification until we come to the point where we're broken. And then we have this huge vision of God. He says, here's the problem. And it's true. Our behaviors follow our belief. And so for any parent, grandparent, anyone that wants to leave a legacy in the home, Dave, your question, the key is you be boiling with conviction about what you believe about God, first and foremost, because it's easy to pass off behavior modification to kids without even knowing it. Hmm. And the secret sauce of the abundant life that bears fruit, and it's to God's glory that we bear much fruit, so he's all for that, is a life that says, oh, God, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to trust in you. And then our behavior begins to get aligned with God. You know, I, I look at this story in John 15. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branch. You abide in me. You'll bear fruit. We got a choice. We can either focus on fruit production, which is really just performance or behavior. I got to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And that last one, self-control, got to have that. Hmm. Or we can focus on proximity to Jesus, but we can't do both. And we've got a choice. And the legacy to leave our kids and grandchildren is that they see mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles living in proximity to Jesus. (laughs) Stumbling, bumbling along. But don't even give them a hint of, you need to be loving. You need to be patient. No, 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 man. That's the fruit. That's the fruit of an abiding relationship with Jesus. And you know what happens? If we aren't producing the real stuff, we'll wind up as parents and grandparents. And we can all fall into this, by the way. And it's easy to do. But as much as we can fall into it, God can pull us out. But when we know we got to be producing fruit, or at least that's what we should have, shouldn't we? I mean, we're Christians, don't you know? And we don't have it, we're pasting on fake fruit. Mm. Fake grapes, fake bananas, fake apples, and here's the problem. The closer people get to you, the more they know it's fake. The ones that really know are your kids. If you're faking it, they know it in a second. Yeah. So often as a pastor, you know, like you said, and you've had the same thing. People come up after a sermon. You're hoping they're going to go, man, that was the best sermon I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. But that's not often what I hear. But often I did hear from a dad usually, you know, how do I get my kids to follow Jesus? Yeah. You know, I've got a 10-year-old or I've got a 17-year-old. Or how do I get them to follow Jesus? And they're wondering and they're expecting, you know, get them in a good Christian school. Make sure they're in the youth program here. Yeah. We've got all this stuff going on. And I've never said that. I've never said that one time. I said, are you on fire? That's it, and They Dave. look at me like, what? I'm like, are you 
on fire for Jesus. Yes. And I can't even talk about your wife because that's up to her, but are they seeing in your home a man who's, what you said just earlier, taking risk, where if God doesn't show up, we're toast. You're scared to death because you're stepping out on water and you're saying, God, you got to make this solid. And that brings fire in your soul because, man, I'm sharing Christ with my neighbor or I'm giving more money and I and I should be giving or whatever the risk is. Are they seeing an iron fire dad? Because, like, they're going to catch it. They're not going to be taught it. It's either going to be passed on because they catch it. And, and they so just attractive. look at me like, yeah, I gave them the wrong answer. Like, you didn't tell me what to do. I'm like, yeah, just fall on your face and ask God to stoke something in you that's real. That'll be passed on, hopefully, to your kids. Mm. It- it's actually the only way. Yeah. And somebody, somebody's listening right now going, well, how do I get that again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to tell you. Go to Matthew 13, and there's two stories that prove one point, Jesus told. He said, the kingdom of God, so kingdom life, living in the kingdom, which is power. He said, the kingdom of God is like a guy who walked into a field and he found a treasure. I got chills right now. Woo! <laughs> and there's nothing like the word of God. See, so he finds a treasure. And that treasure was so bodacious. He buries it, covers it up, goes home, liquidates all earthly assets to buy that field. I don't care what you got to do. Go climb on top of a little hill somewhere. But you need to let Jesus rekindle that love that you once had because that is the stuff that's going to stick to kids. Mm. That's the stuff. I couldn't agree more. And I think for people listening, they're like, I want to do that, but I'm not. And you're saying the first place we go is we bow. We say, God, I have nothing. And our kids see it. They're watching and they know it and they pick up on it. And I wanted to say too, Carl, you mentioned before we were on air that you're discipling a son that's older. Yeah. Because he came to you. Yeah. And it's awesome. I mean, my son is, uh, he's in the tech industry and he's a great kid. You know, he's 6'8", strapping kid. Just, it's a blessing to be able to have my adult son to be coaching him up in the Word of God. And even looking back and telling him, you know, son, I missed an opportunity to really pour into you. I let it become professionalized. I almost outsourced some of my discipling of my son to a youth ministry. Do you regret that looking back? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure, man. I got more regrets. Look at that stack of regrets behind me back here. But we can learn from those. And and by the way, it's one thing to have regrets. It's a dangerous thing to never share them with someone because that's when they have power for something positive. So you told your son. Oh, yeah. Say, hey, I missed an opportunity, man. In fact, I told him straight up, I didn't disciple you. I didn't disciple you, son. And it got that quiet right there. <laughs> I was going to say. But, but, but you're never too late. Yeah. You're seizing the moment now. Yeah, we're seizing the moment, and we're watching fruit born out of it. What about your marriage? How do you keep that fire? Uh, we have these talks where we look face-to-face, and we do. This is not checking your man card, by the way, men. But uh, I look into my wife's eyes, and I'll take her hand, and I'll ask her, what's going on? How are you doing? What are you feeling? And we go to feeling because feelings, oftentimes we talk in terms of what we're thinking. Or what's going on. Or what's going on. But you got to get down to feeling. 
You know, the first time I ever saw one of these goofy feeling wheels. You ever seen a feeling wheel? Oh, yeah. Oh, my word. Oh, yeah. Oh, my word. I <laughs> thought, uh-oh, my manhood is gone. I'll never be I able to grow up I love the feeling wheel. I love it. Now, the feeling wheel was I'm tongue-in-cheek here. Uh, <laughs> I was invited to come to a group, oh, goodness sakes, 14 years ago. And guys said, yeah, come on up. A group of men are meeting in this uh, upper room. And... They said, uh, be there at six o'clock. I walk in and I walk in and there's this five foot in diameter thing in the middle of this circle. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the cat hair is this? <laughs> cat hair. And I'm Who like, that? I'm like, what? What's going on? And I sit down and here we go. Somebody prayed and then here we go. And we got these granite rocks in our hand that were given to us. And we're supposed to lay this rock down. I'm catching on quick on the feeling that we have. And I'm like, did I miss? Who stole the ladies from this room? And what are the dudes doing here? And they start going around the corner talking about their feelings. (laughs) <laughs> and it gets to me. I'm going to do this. And I'm home. like, oh, I got to put a feeling down here. And I forget the feeling that I haven't put the rock on. But with the minute I set it on the feeling, I start crying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, pardon me. I ran the Iditarod and I'm sorry for doing this right now. I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. I thought, good grief. Uh, but, you know, this is all that we're talking about is getting postured at a point of need before God. Yeah. And understanding how we feel. And for me to mine that out of my bride, what are you feeling? I can help her process things in truth that will help set us both free. And she does the same for me. Date nights are awesome. You know, 12 years I spoke with family life on weekends to remember. I remember telling Dennis Rainey back in the day, I remember coming up to him. And I said, Dennis, I love these weekends to remember. But we need to focus on the power talk. Because without the power of God found through brokenness, enough emotional intelligence and space where we can get in touch with our feelings, without the power of God deposited in those moments, all the rest of this stuff is band-aids. It's all glitter. It doesn't matter one bit compared to being broken and understanding who we are and our need before God and letting uh, him meet us there. Yeah, and as you've said so often, that's where self-help ends and the power of God begins. It's like if you don't have the power of God, we say it at every weekend, remember, you can take this manual home. There's good stuff in here. It's the word of God. It will do nothing without the power of God. Not a chance. Your life will not change. And, you know, one of the things Anne said to me years ago that she wanted to do in our marriage and it really does bring fire back, is pray together. Oh, big time. Every single day. Big time. And there's part of me is like, really, every day you want to, you know, it's like, do it. And we've told couples, just start there. I mean, I think what you just said is awesome. Ann told me years ago, when we were alone, would you just ask me? I had to write this down, Carl. Okay, tell me what to ask you. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Oh, like, I love the feeling what? word, too. You want me to, What? I was like, really? She goes, you don't even know what my life is. You don't know what's going on. You never ask. I'm like, it's that simple. You just ask. But I think, Dave, too, we get so busy, and I think families are so busy, even with their kids. But for me even to turn to you and to say, how are you feeling? I want to get that rock in the feeling chart. (laughs) 
We're not, we're not doing out. that. We're not the putting feeling. one of those in our but bedroom. But Dave, I remember we were here one time and somebody asked you a question like, do you ever get lonely? And you said yes. And I thought, I've never asked you that question. Are you lonely? Do you feel inadequate? We're not going to do it here, honey. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think it's <laughs> it's mutual to really get into the depths of each other's hearts. Boom. Yeah, and, I, and I'm thinking, man, if a couple listening right now, you want to do something risky. Yeah. And one of your resolutions is take risk. Here's yep. a risk for you in your marriage. Get on your knees together with your spouse and pray. Yeah. Maybe you've never done and maybe it. Maybe you've done it a hundred times. I'm guessing most couples I talk to is like, well, we get on our knees. It's and I'm so not saying there's some special thing about that. Oh, I think there is. That's a posture I of surrender too. and humility. When you go down on your knees, you're like low. It's yeah. like, I need you. We need each other. And if your spouse won't do it, then you do it. But, man, if you two can do it together, it could be a brand new start. Power. And God's I'll say power. this too, Dave, as I've said this before. If your spouse doesn't pray with you, there's something that's magnificent about you reaching over, putting your hand on your spouse, even in bed, and saying, God, thank you for my spouse. And then say the things that are good about them before God. Like, thank you, God, that he's a good provider. Thank you that he's kind. Thank you that he's good-hearted. And you may have problems at first coming up with some things. But to speak life as you pray and saying the things that God sees in your spouse, there is power to that, too. And then to say, help us. God hears those prayers. to thank Dave and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Does your marriage need a tune-up or perhaps a bit of an overhaul? Come to A Day Together, our one-day marriage conference that focuses on helping couples develop oneness in their marriage. For a list of dates and locations near you, see our website at families.powertochange.org.au. Until tomorrow, God's blessings.